0: Hey, uh, thank you guys so much for being here today. And uh, we are, as a church today, celebrating Memorial Day. And so uh, today is always very special. Not every uh, man and woman in the armed service uh, specifically fights for religious freedom that we could assemble uh, and worship the name of Jesus Christ, but there are a bunch of them that do, even today. Uh, And uh, this day is in commemoration specifically of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, so that we could be in here and worship the Lord today. i got to be honest with you, the pandemic has taken this to a whole new level uh, the right to be able to assemble and worship our God is such a powerful thing, and so I want to invite you today, as we get started, to think of someone that you know uh, that, uh, or even of someone uh, someone whose family that you know of uh, that perished in the line of duty, fighting for our country. And it can be through any time period. It could be a distant relative of yours, uh, a neighbor, and for some of you, it might be a brother, uh, a husband, a wife. Uh, it might be, again, a sister uh, or somebody who's very, very dear to you. Uh, My wife and I lived in an apartment for years in Grapevine, Texas, and right across the hall from us uh, was a guy named Adam Kosia. Adam worked as a Dallas County police officer, and uh, some of you guys will know this, Like apartments sometimes are so close, our doors were like four feet from each other, you know what I mean? We were just very, very close in that regard, and uh, Adam uh, did three tours overseas, uh, two in Afghanistan and one in Iraq, and um, Adam used to wear these two metal bracelets. And uh, I remember one day I got the courage to ask him what the bracelets were for. And he said, there were a couple pretty gnarly helicopter crashes with some uh, brothers of mine. He said, five of their names are on this bracelet, five are on the other. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. I said, "I, I hope I didn't offend you by asking. He goes, no, no. He said, that's why I wear them. He said, because then we can share the story and we can remember them. Um, Dallas County at the time had a rule that you could only wear one thing on your wrist. You're supposed to be for like a wristwatch, you know, kind of a dress code deal. Uh, Adam said the shortest conversation ever was asking my supervisor if I could wear both of my bracelets. And so uh, I think, again, that that was the right decision there. All that to say, I want you to think of those individuals that paid the ultimate sacrifice, and then today, let's think of their families, uh, and let's take just a minute and pray strength and encouragement to them today. If we could bow our heads just for a minute. going to give you about 10, 15 seconds. Take just a minute. Think of that individual. Now think of their family, and then say a prayer for encouragement, encourage peace today uh, as we celebrate what we are able to do in Jesus' name uh, because of the hard sacrifice that they put in. Ready? On your mark, get set, go. Lord, after 2020, I will never, ever, ever in any way take for granted that we get to assemble and praise your name together here in freedom. And Lord, there are many men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that that could be possible. Lord, we are grateful for them today. And Lord, I am specifically grateful for Adam Kosia's 10 friends. Lord, I thank you uh, for the brotherhood that they had. I thank you for the way that they fought so valiantly together. And Lord, they are not forgotten. Their sacrifice is not forgotten today. And Lord, we preach the gospel in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, open to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2, tiny little book of the Bible. And then we're going to read the last verses of 1 Kings uh, chapter 22, and then jump into 2 Kings chapter 1. All right? Uh, so, just so you know, originally 1 Kings and 2 Kings were all one book, but they split them up so that uh, we could find the, uh, find the uh, chapter and verses just a little bit easier. And so it all reads together, it's supposed to, uh, but just want you to know that that's what's kind of coming as we jump in today. We're read about a dude named Ahaziah today. He was only king in Israel for two years, but we have one really important story that ties in Elijah uh, that uh, that uh, encompasses the end of Ahaziah's life. You're ready for this question. I told you these later round sermons and stuff that you normally never would have heard. You're here for a reason today. You could have been on vacation on Memorial Day today. Some of you are on vacation and you came here. All right. No one's here by accident to hear this question. Are you ready? Have you ever made plans to do something that was wrong, all right? Have you ever made plans to do something that was wrong, all right? The idea is that in the echo chamber of your brain, you came up with an idea that was not a good idea, that was riddled with sin, that was riddled again with, with, a it's just a bad idea, it was working around the Lord's word, and I'm telling you, in the echo chamber of your mind, all of a sudden, it goes from something that's wrong to something that doesn't sound so bad to all of a sudden, is something that you are justified in doing. That's the problem with the echo chamber of of your brain is once stuff bounces around in there long enough, a bad idea all of a sudden starts to sound like a good idea. The best example I can think of that all of us have gone through on this is when your parents were leaving town when you were in high school, all right? Ever had that before where they trust you for the very first time and all of a sudden it becomes pretty close to risky business with Tom Cruise, you know what I mean? Just one of those situations. For some of you young folks, that was a movie a long time ago, all right? All that to say, you start to think we can throw the party with mom and dad out of town you start to think again we can have people over we can do these different things Uh, when people are out of town here's what i've noticed over the years you start off with the teenage mind on that and then we adults get sneakier and sneakier into heavier stuff that can really really cause problems sometimes again it's relationships sometimes it's theft sometimes it's hate. Something that starts as something bouncing around in our head All of a sudden becomes justified And that hate is illustrated One of the other ones that middle-aged people love to jump into is greed Greed starts off and it's just an idea It's just a thought And then all of a sudden the thought is justified And then all of a sudden it turns out into something That will be a life-defining characteristic Just so you could make a quick buck Here's what Micah has to say Look at Micah chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 just so you know, the prophet here is talking specifically about a specific problem that's taking place, but this is an all-time verse. Are you ready for this? It says, woe to those who plan iniquity. Underline, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. Underline, plot evil on their beds. What an interesting uh, preposition to add there at the end. At morning's light, they carry it out. Why? Because it is in their power to do it. Stop right there for just a minute. If you allow these bad sinful ideas to bounce around in the vacuum of your head long enough, then guess what? When you think about it, all of a sudden it turns into a process of this is what I would do. This is what I could do. And this is what I should do. It erupts into something where again, you now have the power to do it. So look at the verbs here in verse two, they covet fields And they seize them and houses and they take them. They defraud a man's home, a fellow man of his inheritance. Look at the verbs here, covet, seize, take, defraud. These are all verbs in the context that no person would want attached to their character. And what do we find? It all starts off in a plot that you have while you're lying in your bed at night when you should be resting, when you should be sleeping, thinking through doing this awful thing. So what does the Lord do to keep us from falling into that path of iniquity? Listen to me. He provides speed bumps. Moments to slow our roll where you stop and you think so that you can process what the consequences are of this decision. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? God often provides speed bumps to stall our momentum towards sin that we might take a moment to fully process the consequences. Let me say that again. God often provides speed bumps to stall our momentum towards sin that we might take a moment to fully process the consequences. For some of you... This moment right here right now is that moment for you. The whole reason you're here is because you have got something bouncing around in your head that never needs to see the light of day. Do you hear me? So Lulu and I have been watching a show on Disney Plus called Mighty Ducks Game Changers, all right? Have you ever watched the Mighty Ducks movies back in the day? So apparently there's a new TV series about it now. Watching this TV series together, and uh, there's one point where the uh, the, the uh, coach of the team is oh, Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls. What is her actual name? Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. There we go. Got it. There you go. Some of you are very enthusiastic about that. Well done. Okay. So we got Lorelai. All right. We'll just call her Lorelai. All right. There we go. We got the team mom, and she has this idea that's a really bad coaching idea. And then Gordon Bombay, Emilio Estevez himself, uh, is the assistant coach in the show. And uh, so anyway, there's one point where she has this really bad idea and she goes this was a this was a whole lot better when it was in my head. When she sees it acted out, she goes, this was a whole lot better when it was in my head. And Emilio Estevez, without skipping a beat, says, yep, this one should have stayed there. All right? This is one of those where there are some of you, if you're being honest, I'm not calling you out. Again, I'm just offering up a caution to you. There is some idea bouncing around in your head right now that you need to let die. It is a terrible idea. Again, it's a den of iniquity. It's going to cause trouble for you and for other people that you love around you. And it's time that you go to sleep. Stop plotting it on your bed because one day is going to come when all of a sudden it's going to be in your power to do this terrible thing. Nobody wakes up one day and says I want to have an affair. Nobody wakes up one day and says I want to steal and defraud my boss. Nobody wakes up one day and says you know what I think I'm going to be a terrible neighbor and I'm going to steal someone's inheritance today. How does it come about? Because in the vacuum of your head all of a sudden it turns into I could do this I should do this I will do this. The Lord says, woe to them who do this. So how does the Lord, our big question, how does God disrupt our pursuit of sin? How does God disrupt our pursuit of sin? It's been my prayer going into the service today that there are some of you here that needed to hear this, and this particular service will be your disruption so that you would not pursue it any longer. And that, my friends, is the story of Ahaziah. Flip, if you will, now to 1 Kings 22. We're going to read the last set of verses, the summary of his life. And then we're going to jump in and read the one story about Ahaziah that's listed in Scripture. You ready for this? 1 Kings 22, verse 51. It says, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king in Israel, in Samaria, in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. Very, very short reign. It says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's a comparison to Jehoshaphat who it says did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he walked in the ways of his father and mother and in the ways of Jeroboam the son of Nebat who, look at this, who caused Israel to sin. The picture here of Ahaziah's life is that his reign was short two years that he did wickedness in his own life but he also enabled the country to do wickedness as well. Verse 53 it says he served and worshipped Baal and he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. You can kind of tell that this is an abrupt end as we jump in to 2 Kings chapter 1. Now flip over there and have a look at this. Ahaziah, again, had not lived for Yahweh. He had truly lived against him. But I want you to notice this. The reason 2 Kings chapter 1 is in scripture is because even though Ahaziah had lived horribly, even though he was born into a rotten family, even though it was modeled for him was not godly behavior, don't miss this. God was still pursuing him, even with the most wicked of past, and it's a picture of me and of you in the passage. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. God's desire is that you would repent today and be saved, that you would repent today and that you truly would live for him with all you've got. And we're going to watch in 2 Kings chapter 1. We're going to watch the way that the Lord so desperately pursues Ahaziah, even even though he is striving to sin even with his last breath. Look at what happens in chapter 1, 2 Kings 1, starting in verse 1. It says after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice in his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. Underline fallen through the lattice in his upper room. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baal-zebub, underline Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Stop right there for just a second. So Ahaziah is in his palace. He's in this big, massive facility. And what happens, what should be a great gift and a great blessing, he doesn't build the rooftop very well. He leans on lattice, and then all of a sudden he ends up falling and getting horrible internal injuries. Well, instead of going to Elijah, instead of begging Yahweh for forgiveness and asking for his help through this time of illness, what does he do? He follows in the pattern of his mom and dad, and he consults. Baal Zebub. For any of you Bible scholars out there, does Baal Zebub sound familiar? It's the same thing that's quoted at Jesus. Beelzebub. It's kind of a variation of this. This god, this false god, that was a god of resurrection. It's the reason he's consulting Baal Zebub when he feels like he's going to die. Do you remember the story? Jesus heals someone, and the miracle is so powerful that then the Pharisees and religious leaders look at him and they go, "Hmm, we can't discount that you did the miracle." We can't discount that some power some spiritual power has happened for this miracle to take place but they say but you did it by the power of Beelzebub. You know who Beelzebub was? The reason that Beelzebub was this god of resurrection is what they believed is that when a dead rotting animal carcass was on the ground that a fly, Beelzebub the lord of the flies would fly in and lay its maggot eggs into the rotting carcass and then when the maggots were full grown they would fly out of the rotting carcass and would resurrect whatever the spirit was of the animal that had lived. That's why when they look at Jesus, they go, Yeah, you did the miracle, but you did it by the power of the maggot God. It was one of the most hateful things that they could have said to the Son of God. That's who Isaiah is counting on. Well, I guess according to tradition, we can go and pray to the maggot God, and maybe my rotting carcass will be resurrected. What he wants to do here is so wicked in the side of the country. And he's trying with his last breaths to sin in such a way that could, again, this is showing his heart for eternity, that he has faith in the fake God, the maggot God, instead of Yahweh. Now look at what happens. The Lord tries to slow his roll. Look at verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel That you are going off to consult Baal's above, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says You will not leave the bed you are lying on, you will certainly die. Now, look at this. So Elijah went. Underline and highlight those three words. The messenger of God goes. It says, verse 5 When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him this. This is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Baal's above, the God of Ekron? Therefore you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. I love verse 7. The king asked them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? I always hear verse 8 in Ron Burgundy voice, okay? They replied, It was a man with a garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, yeah, that was Elijah the Tishbite. Underline at the end, yeah, that was Elijah. He knew Elijah well. He would have been there on Mount Carmel when the fire fell from heaven. He would have been there on the day when the rain finally fell on the land. What we find out here about Ahaziah is God has sent a messenger to try to help him to not make his last decision one that is a decision of great wickedness. Now just so you know, it shows you that up until your last breath, there is a moment for you to receive repentance, to halt your former way of life and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ find forgiveness and to live for him as a child of Almighty God. Right up until his last breath, the Lord is still pursuing Ahaziah and that is a powerful, powerful thing to remember. If you're taking notes, how does God disrupt our pursuit of sin? Number one, God sends a messenger. God sends a messenger. Now, this is less mystical and magical than you'd think. Sometimes it's when you make plans of wickedness, and all of a sudden, when you're on your way to do them, you run into somebody from church on the way. You ever had that happen before? And you just sit there and you go, whoa, this was not by accident. Or if you had this happen before, you'll get a text message right before you make a major life decision. And that text message wasn't just a text message. It was a sign from Almighty God that you needed to slow your roll and really think through the things that you're about to do. Sometimes it's a TV commercial, something that someone else is using to make money off of the masses. But you know that commercial at that time, at that moment, was meant directly from Almighty God for you to slow your roll. The Lord sends a messenger. For some of you, maybe I get to be that messenger today. There's been something bouncing around in your head. I could do it. I should do it. I will do it. And the Lord has provided an opportunity for you to stop and to think. That's what Elijah does for Ahaziah. Is it because there's no God in Israel? Is it because Yahweh is not real that you go out to Baal's above? Are you sure you want to do this with your last breath? You are giving yourself to Baal's above. You're gonna trust the maggot God to save your soul here at the end. Are you sure that you want to do that? Elijah is the messenger, offers up that caution. If you're taking notes, right this down a messenger's responsibility is to get you to think not to force you into making the right decision i said again A messenger's responsibility is to get you to think not to force you into making the right decision i will stand before god as your pastor that i offered you the cautions that i was supposed to offer you i will not defend the sin that you fall into you are accountable for that and only the shed blood of jesus christ can cover that amen it's just the way it goes just the way it goes. You can't make anyone make the right decision. What you can do is stand up and you can offer the caution. There have been moments in my life where the Lord has sent a very powerful messenger to remind me that I wasn't supposed to do something or to remind me that I was supposed to go down a different path. Some of you heard this story before, so bear with me. It's always tough for a pastor to tell stories when, it's easy to tell when you're the hero. It's tough when you're the goat, all right? This is one of those goat stories. Um, There were a couple of friends that uh, when I was growing up, that I was not supposed to spend time with unless I had explicit permission from my mom and dad, okay? Uh, These are the friends that when I hung out with them, we always got in big trouble together. And uh, we all played football together at Monterey High School. And uh, one particular week, it all came to a head uh, because Monterey High School, our arch rivals at the time, were Coronado High School. And uh, Monterey, we were kind of the lower income group, and then Coronado were the rich kids. And so uh, there was also a little bit of chip on our shoulders that way too. And so all that to say, um, we uh, are getting ready for the game and a uh, couple of guys, these two guys messaged me and they go, hey, or back then we called each other. We didn't message each other. Uh, we called each other and he said, uh, hey, come hang out. He goes, we're going to go mess with some of these guys. Well, one, I thought it was just like going to be a little prank thing. One of the pranks that we had done, uh, which was still the best prank I've ever been a part of, uh, was uh, we, uh, we got to, it's kind of a rural community. And so uh, we uh, were trying to figure out what we could do to mess with the other team. So we went and. Got got uh, cow manure, and uh, we put it on their practice field, and we were just fertilizing it for them. And so uh, anyway, that was, they had to play in that all week long. Anyway, all that to say, I'm not saying that that was great, but it really was a special prank. All that to say, that's what I'm picturing in my head that we're going to do is something like that. And then um, when I get to the guy's car, he had a uh, Chevy old pickup truck with a bench seat, and there were four of us. That should have been the first point when I said, I can't go, because there are only three seat belts, but space of it, there were four of us to sit in the front seats. And I remember, the driver's on this side, and they look at me, and they go, get in. We're going to go mess with the running back for this team. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'm 15 at the time, and so I should have known. I just need to walk home at that point, but I just remember thinking, it can't be that bad. And I get inside, and I'm trapped, Another guy sitting next to me had no clue what he was getting into, and then the guy on the outside, he'd been a friend for a long time, but he would end up spending time in prison later for some violent behavior, and so you don't know that when you're 15, so they're on either side, and then all of a sudden the guy on the far side pulls out a paintball gun, he goes, we're going to mess with this kid. And I'm like, uh, uh, and I should have said, let me out of the car, let me out of the truck. And instead, I just stayed, I'm telling you. And it's bouncing around in my head. This isn't gonna be so bad, this won't be any big deal. Surely these guys aren't gonna do something illegal. And so what happens? We pull up at the running back's house, they call him out, and when they do, all of a sudden, the guy pops out of the window and starts shooting the paintball gun at the guy. Well, the guy runs back in the house, and then it goes from shooting the guy to shooting up the house. They shoot up the trim, they shoot up the windows, and there's paintball stuff all over the house. And it's just sitting there baking in the sun. That can mess up your paint very, very quickly. And I'm telling you, we're watching this, and the guy with me on the inside, we're like, what were we thinking, right? We were told by our Sunday school teachers not to ever be in a situation like this. And we look at each other, but we don't know what to do. We're trapped on the inside, and I just don't say anything. And I remember, we finally started driving Driving down the road and I said, Can you just take me home? I just want to go home. Can you take me home? I just want to go home. And then the guy on the outside goes, Yeah, that's probably a good idea. He goes, But you know what? He goes, that guy knew me and this other guy. He goes, You should probably take the paintball gun. He goes, because nobody's gonna look for it at your house. I was the president of FCA at that point, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He was like, No, they're not gonna think the preacher was a part of this thing. He hands me the bag, which is, again is a horrible idea. I take the paper sack, and I go, okay, I just went out of the car. And I remember, I'm thinking to myself, what's bouncing around in my head, is I'm gonna hide it. There is a cabinet at my house that nobody will ever look in, and I'll hide it in the cabinet there until the heat blows over, but I feel sick. I feel sick just telling you the story right now. I still remember those emotions, I felt so sick. And I remember thinking I'll just hide this and pretend like nothing ever happened. Well, the Lord sent the messenger. When I walked through the door of my house, my dad was a traveling preacher, an evangelist, preached all over the country, and my dad was home that day and it was a day he wasn't normally home. In fact, looking back, he probably had a speaking deal that canceled and he was probably worried about how he was going to pay bills that week not having money. I walk in and dad's sitting there and I'm carrying this paper bag. And he goes, hey, son, came home early this week. He goes, that means I get to watch a game this weekend. He goes, are you excited, ready to play? And I go, yeah, Dad, real excited. And I walk into the back room, go straight to that shelf, hide the paintball gun, and then I'm just sitting in there holding my stomach, feeling so sick from what's happened. Dad walks in. He goes, son, what was in the paper sack? I said, nothing. (laughs) He goes, son, this is your chance. He goes, what was in the paper sack? Well, at that point, I can choose to still lie. But listen, there is a speed bump. There's a roadblock. There's a messenger from God provided to slow my roll. I looked at my dad and I said, it's a paintball gun. He goes, what are you doing with a paintball gun? I tell him the story. He shakes his head. I remember he wasn't judgmental. Very merciful. He said, son... He goes, You need to hand that bag to me. I said, Are we going to take it back to the guy who owns it? And he goes, No, no, it's mine now. He takes the bag and he said, Now you know what you need to do. He said, We're going to call your friends. And he said, They're not going to answer. He said, But you're going to go and you're going to clean up that man's house. I said, But he didn't know me. And he goes, It doesn't matter, son. He goes, You were in the car, you were with the group, and you're going to go clean it up we drove over to the guy's house, rang the doorbell. Of course, my friends didn't answer. I went over alone. We go in to the house. The guy said, aren't you from FCA? He didn't really even know who I was but He goes, aren't you with FCA? And I said, yeah. And I said, I was just in the car, but I said, I'm sorry. We never should have done it. I had to get a ladder, scrub the trim on their house, scrub the windows with Windex. And then finally, after about two hours of work, my dad sat in the truck and waited for me. And after about two hours of work, loaded up and went home. i tell you a story to say this. It's got a real different ending if I don't listen to the messenger. I truly believe that the Lord sent my dad that day to help me walk through that. If I had justified that behavior, I can see how it would have had a rotting difference on my soul. If you don't trust my story, maybe you'll trust one from Numbers 22. You don't have to flip there. But the story of Balaam's donkey is a great story when it comes to God sending a messenger. Balaam wants to go somewhere and do something that God's told him he shouldn't do. And do you remember the way the story goes? It says the Lord burned with anger. He's so frustrated with Balaam trying to do this thing. So what does he do in the story of Balaam? All of a sudden we have a situation where Balaam then says, I'm going this way anyway. And the donkey he's riding on sees that the Lord has positioned the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn to basically cut Balaam's head off as soon as he comes down the path. Well, the donkey then is like, whoa, I can see ahead. I don't want to do this. So the donkey then runs Balaam into the wall, trying to turn him around. Well, it hurts Balaam's leg, so he starts to beat his donkey. This happens three times. And the third time, Balaam's donkey's trying to take him away so dramatically that Balaam pulls out his staff and begins to abuse the donkey with his staff. Well, at that point, it says the Lord then loosens the tongue of the donkey. The first time an animal is spoken since the book of Genesis. And all of a sudden, the donkey says, why are you hurting me? The Lord allows this messenger moment, this supernatural moment to take place, and even though the laws of physics are being defied in this instant, Balaam then does what we do. He starts to argue with the donkey. He has justified sin so long in his head, he starts to argue with the donkey, and the donkey finally says, look up, there's an angel about to chop your head off, I'm trying to save you, and at that point, Balaam goes, oh no, and falls face down to the ground, and then he realizes what's actually taking place. Listen, the whole point of the story is that God sends the messenger that you might wake up and consider the consequences of what you're doing. And you don't need a donkey to do it. You have me, all right? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit calls out to you in so many different forms. And you got to have the guts to say, you know what, I'm going to listen It begs the question Are you ready for this? Is God trying to tell you something? Is God trying to tell you something? Is there a messenger that He sent you so that you can halt that pursuit of sin? But that's not the only way. Now look at 2 Kings chapter 1 and let's read verses 9 through 12. So here's what He does. All of a sudden, Ahaziah decides he's still going to pursue sin. He doesn't care if Elijah's offered the caution. He's still going to pursue sin. Look at verse 9. It says, Then he sent to Elijah a captain with a company of 50 men. And the captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire from heaven fell and consumed the captain and his 50 men. At this, the king sent Elijah another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Now stop right here for just a minute. I want you to know something, kind of the way my sermon process works. I spent eight hours on these verses trying to figure out, was it sinful or not for Elijah to call down fire from heaven and to kill those 50 men? And Can I tell you what I figured out after eight hours? The Lord sent the fire, not Elijah that interesting? In those circumstances, Elijah can ask for something, but only God can provide it. Now, just for the record, the awesome firepower of Almighty God is at his disposal. But from Luke 9, chapter 51 through 56... We find in that passage, when Jesus is rejected at a village, James and John, two of the three biggest rock stars in the history of the early church, come up and they go, should we call down fire from heaven and smote these people in your name since they rejected the Jesus revival? And do you remember what Jesus says? It doesn't even have his words there. It just says Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. Can I tell you what that lets you know? Fire from heaven is not God's first go-to option. is that a powerful thing to remember? Fire from heaven is not God's first go-to option. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. It says in multiple passages of Scripture. He desires to be merciful to us. But when God allows fire to fall in your life, you better stink and pay attention. Fire is the moment where when it comes down, the Lord is saying to you, there is undeniable consequence on the other side of this, and you don't want to miss my caution to you. If you're taking notes, write that down. How does the Lord disrupt our pursuit of sin? Number one, God sends a messenger, and number two, God sends fire. God sends fire. Not Elijah, but the Lord. That is an abrupt halt, and if the abrupt halt doesn't happen, then undeniable consequences will take place afterwards. If you're taking notes, you can write this next part down. When sin's grip is tight, the word of the Lord in his great kindness enables an undeniable intervention. Let me say that again. When sin's grip is tight, the Lord in his great kindness enables an undeniable intervention. There are some of you who are here today because the Lord is trying to tell you something and slow your roll. There are some of you who are here today who you experienced the fire of Almighty God and intervention with the life that you were living or an intervention with the life that you could have lived and the fire from God that seemed like it was so cruel at the time was God's kindness and my prayers that you would realize today God halted your momentum out of love for you and Care for your future, and he didn't do it to just smote you and mess with you. Is that a good word? God is good. When you encounter a brick wall that you did not plan on, that is a gift and a kindness from God, not something that he intends to stifle your life with. Some of you have been a part of this with us. We were going to build a balcony back there. Do you remember that? We were going to build a balcony. You know why we didn't build the balcony? Because the project was supposed to start in April of 2020. That's why. We had all the money raised for it. It was about a half a million bucks. We had all the money raised for it and we were ready to rock and roll. And then all of a sudden in April 2020, the very first thing in the project is we had to dig a four inch water line into the road over there. That was the first thing, the first part of the project that had to happen in order for it to work. And do you remember? All of a sudden, we're about to start the project. And because this part of the city was in complete and total lockdown, they halted the shutoffs of any of the city's water supply for four months. For four months. So we came back and went, so we can't do anything on this for four months? And at that point they said, yep, if you start to dig, if you try to do anything on that water supply and shut it off, then we will shut down your project and give you a really hefty fine from the city. They said we can't chance shutting off the water and then the buildings in this area not able to have a water supply, which makes total sense, by the way, that you wouldn't do that. So all of a sudden we stopped and went, okay, I guess we'll wait throughout all the different pieces of the pandemic, then that's when we talked with our landlords, and it turned out that the money saved for the balcony could actually serve as a down payment to purchase the building. And if we owned the building and want to build it five stories up, why would we want to put a half million dollars into something that we're just going to bulldoze in the next few years? The Lord made very clear. He sent fire. He built a wall, and then all of a sudden it showed us the direction that we were supposed to go. For some of you, it's time to stop being mad at God that He didn't let you follow through with sin. Can I say that again? For some of you, it's time to stop being mad at God that He didn't let you follow through with sin. If you don't trust me or Scripture, maybe you'll trust the immortal Garth Brooks, Sometimes I Thank God, for unanswered prayers. All right, there you go, right? Sometimes the Lord throws up a wall because we are not supposed to. It begs the question have you experienced the fire of God? Have you experienced the fire of God? If you have, maybe it's time you were thankful for it. Maybe for the first time in your whole life. Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't answer that prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't allow me to fall into that trap. Now let's read the next verse. This one's interesting. Look at verses 13 through 15. It says So the king sent a third captain, look at this, with his 50 men. This captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life. Underline, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. You see, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now, have respect for my life. Man, I love that term there, have respect for my life. It says, then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and he went with him to the king. You see, God sends a messenger. God sends fire. And the number three is the sweetest of all. God offers mercy. Sometimes the way that the Lord disrupts our pursuit of sin is that it is something that you absolutely should have gotten caught in, absolutely something that should have decimated so much that you love in your life. But God in his infinite kindness Offers mercy to you. The believer in Jesus Christ has to realize God gave this to me. It is not assured a second time. There's some of you today that didn't come here for your verbal warning. You didn't come here to relive the past for you. Today is the moment to truly consider I should have gotten busted, and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, by His potent and amazing mercy. I have a second chance to keep moving forward. Those moments are so precious, so sweet, and we have to remember them. If you're taking notes, write this down. You ready? Encountering the mercy of God when we should be leveled is a glimpse of the day of judgment for those who know Jesus. Let me say that again. Encountering the mercy of God when we should be leveled is a glimpse of the day of judgment for those who know Jesus. So, my favorite musical of all time, okay? I do love Jesus Christ Superstar. Hamilton's a lot of fun. We're on the short list to get tickets at the Kennedy Center when it comes through this next time. But I'm telling you, Le Miserable, I still think, is the best of the best. Old school and the best of the best. Um, the scenes at the beginning, as a pastor, they always jump out at me. But the scenes with Jean Valjean and the priest. I just absolutely love it. Jean Valjean, which by the way is French for John Johnson, basically. All right, The main character. It means he's just an anybody. right? I love the story because... At the beginning, Jean Valjean has this past. He's lived for himself. He's been abused. He's been beat up. But truly, has made some terrible decisions. And do you remember the scene? He shows up, eats at the priest's table and then goes back to his old ways. He's just gotten out of jail, and he steals silver from the priest's house. And he goes, he gets caught by the police afterwards, and then all of a sudden they bring him back in before Jean Valjean, before the priest, and do you remember the officers look at him and say, do you want to press charges? We caught him red-handed. He stole this stuff from you. And do you remember the priest sings so beautifully, but my friend, you left so early. He says, surely something slipped your mind. He says, you forgot I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? It always makes me cry to watch it. And then you watch it at the end. Jean Valjean is so taken by this mercy that's been bestowed upon him. And then the priest says, I didn't do this for you. He says, I have bought your soul for God. I always loved that line because that is the role of the messenger, that we would be the fingertips of God's mercy to the world around us. It causes him such turmoil. Hugh Jackman does a great job if you ever watched the movie. He just is in such turmoil he can't believe that this mercy's been given to him. And he goes back and forth, back and forth. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde moment because that's what mercy does to us. God's great mercy. And he is so rich in mercy, it says Ephesians chapter 2, that God in his rich mercy, when it hits us, it changes us from the inside out. Are there any of you here today... That maybe you've been kicking around doing something that is truly life altering, that you should have gotten caught for already. And God, in His rich mercy, has allowed you to still be where you are. For you, maybe you rejoice today in God's mercy, but you repent and you leave that sin behind. You move away from it and you don't allow it to define you. It begs the question Has God's mercy made you humble? Has God's mercy made you humble? And then I'm going to read you these last verses and we'll be done. 2 Kings chapter 1, I wish I could tell you how it ends, but we don't know. It's a beautiful picture of each and every one of us today. We don't know if Ahaziah halts the pursuit of Baalzebub or if he decides to move forward with it. Look at verse 16. It says, so Elijah comes in and one more time he told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave your bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Verse 17, so he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. The way our story ends, we don't know if he chose it or not, and that's a beautiful picture for each one of us. I don't know, after preaching this at you, I don't know if it was for your heart or not. I don't know if you're going to receive it or not. I just know I was supposed to preach it. At the end of the day, guess who knows if Ahaziah did the right thing or not? He does, and God does. This is a heart decision for you today. Thank you for listening. I pray that the Lord will bless you as you do what the Spirit tells you to do. Let's bow our heads for prayer.